0: I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. We're looking today at chapter 13. It's also printed for you in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along there. As I mentioned to you in my email on Friday afternoon, uh, we are in the midst of a pretty dark section of this book, uh, a passage that is uh, hard to read, hard to uh, try to digest. Uh, Part of me even thought, well, maybe I'll just skip over it and see if anybody notices. Uh, but knowing that you all are students of God's word and uh, desire to learn from it, I knew that you would hold me accountable for that. So we're going to go through it, and as we do, we're going to pray for the Lord to be at work, helping us to understand how we can grow in our knowledge and love of Him and of others as well. So I'd invite you to listen as I read from read from 2 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse one. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar, and after a time Amnon, David's son, loved her, and Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's wife, a sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill, and when your father comes to you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat, the, eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, "'Send out everyone from me.' So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, "'Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand.' And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, "'Come, lie with me, my sister.' She answered him, "'No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel.' Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us... Not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore let not my lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled. And the young young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this difficult passage We know it's no less your word than any other passage, and so we come and ask the same thing that we come when we are eager to see wonderful things from your word. We are eager for you to teach us from this passage as well. Help us, Father, to know. Help us to know what it is that we are to learn. Teach us about yourself. Teach us about ourselves. Teach us about what it looks to live faithfully as your servant in this world. Send your Holy Spirit Take your word, inform and fashion us into the people that are your great pleasure. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in a car accident when I was 16 years old. It's the only time that I actually have caused a car accident. Uh, I was driving down one of the main roads in our small little Indiana town. I was coming home from a soccer game where our team had just won, and uh, it was myself driving and my 12-year-old brother was in the passenger seat, and we were driving down uh, what's uh, called National Road in in our little town in Indiana, and it was uh, two lanes on one side and two lanes on the other side, but no passing lane in between. We were probably going about 45 miles an hour, and I was in the left lane. And as we were driving, I looked over and a friend of mine who was also on the soccer team was in the car next to us driving and passing us. And so I looked over past my brother to the car over to the right of us and began to wave, got their attention. And then I turned back to the road. And as I did, I saw that a car had stopped in front of me to turn left across the traffic. I slammed on the brakes, but there wasn't enough time or space. And so we smashed right into the back of the car that was waiting to turn both cars were totaled but by God's mercy nobody was seriously injured however as you might imagine it was fairly traumatic for both the 16 year old driver as well as the 12 year old brother in the passenger seat I can still remember Uh, In great vivid detail, uh, those moments. And sometimes, and perhaps this happens for you as well, when you recall things from your past, sometimes those memories uh, are such that I actually remember and and I see it kind of actually sitting in the car seat and and, and driving and, and everything's happening just like it did then and I can just picture everything that was going on. But other times when that memory comes to my mind, it's almost as if I'm outside of the car watching it happen. And I can see my friends in the car next to me and I can see my brother sitting in the seat and I can see the car that stopped up ahead and there's nothing that I can do to stop it or prevent it from happening. Second Samuel chapter 13 is like watching a bad car accident happening and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's like you're on the outside watching it happen in slow motion. Except with 2nd Samuel chapter 13, there are serious injuries. It's a deadly and horrific account of events. And it's not just an accident either. It's God's people planning and plotting evil and wickedness. And you might be wondering, what can we learn from this story? As I mentioned to you in my email on Friday, I'm going to do something a little bit different with this sermon. Normally, if you're here regularly, you know as we're going through books of the Bible, we do so very expositionally. We kind of look at all the verses and unpack the explanation of them and interweave some application in there and maybe have a so what at the end. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Rather than kind of going through the passages, uh, uh, looking at all of the, the explicit details that are recorded for us here verse by verse... The main points of the sermon that are in front of you are the application. These are the takeaways that I want us to think about as we reflect on this story. So, what should we learn from this passage? Well, we should learn four things today. First of all, we should learn about the credibility of the Bible. And then, secondly, the depravity of the human heart. And thirdly, the importance or the significance of listening. And then, lastly, our dire need for the gospel. So first of all, the credibility of the Bible. The very fact that this story is in the Bible shows us that the Bible is credible. Who would have included a story like this if it wasn't true? If the Bible was just a man-made document that was meant to show people how great Christianity is to try to get people to become Christians, then it wouldn't include a story like this. But because the story is included, it shows that the Bible is genuine, that it's credible, that it's not just man-made, but that it's been inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so it's authoritative for us. But we can see the credibility of the Bible, not just because God included this story in it, but also because we see the promise, the prophecy of God coming true. If you were here with us last week, we were looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12, we were looking at that. Uh, amazing passage of David coming to a sense of conviction about his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and the other soldiers who were killed. And David confessed his sin and he repented of his sin. And because he did that, we are told that the Lord forgave him of his sin. But in chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, God went on to promise and to prophesy that there would be consequences, that there would be effects of what David had done. David's household would be plagued with violence and with sexual sin. And it would all be made public. And just as the Lord had said would take place in chapter 12, as we come to chapter 13, we begin to see those things being fulfilled. It's a reminder to us that God is always faithful to His Word. His Word is credible. It is real. It is genuine. It is true. And it is trustworthy. And that's why Paul told Timothy that the Word of God is given to teach us and to reprove us and to correct us and to train us in what righteousness looks like. It is given to, uh, to enable, it, uh, enable us to be complete as God's people, to be equipped to live uh, as God's people in this world. The Bible is credible, it's authoritative for us. The second thing we see from this passage, second takeaway for us from this passage, is to understand the depravity of the human heart. The Bible teaches us that because of the fall that took place in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, we are born as sinners. We saw David confess that last week in his wonderful confession, Psalm 51, where he said, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. This is what Theologians often refer to as total depravity. Not that we are as totally depraved as we possibly could be, but that every aspect of our being has been touched and tainted by sin. That apart from God's work on my heart, my default is sin. My default is depravity. And we're getting a bird's eye view of that in 2 Samuel chapter 13. The story has five main people that are involved. We read about... Absalom, who was one of David's sons. And we read about Absalom's sister named Tamar, also one of David's children. They had a half brother named Amnon. So three of David's children, Absalom, Tamar, and Amnon. And we also read about this man named Jonadab, who was a friend of Amnon, but also a cousin, a cousin to these three children of David. And of course we read King David about King David's involvement as well. And as we look at the actions of Amnon and Jonadab and David and Absalom, we see that their actions are horrific in and of themselves. But I want to point out just a few details that we might see how depraved they actually were. Verses 1 and 2. Amnon's wrong-placed feelings for Tamar were not spontaneous. We're told that They were feelings that were cultivated, they were imagined, they were dwelled on. And Absalom was one of God's people. He was an Israelite and by such he would have known that the very thing that he was thinking about, the very thing that he was planning and cultivating in his heart was something that the Mosaic Law specifically forbid. Amnon likely could have quoted from Leviticus 18 or 20 or Deuteronomy 27 that specifically spoke against what he was thinking about. He intentionally dwelled on and imagined and cultivated the sin in his heart and his mind. And we ought to see the danger of doing that. Verse 3. We read about Jonadab who was Amnon's cousin and a friend and we read that he was a crafty man. He was the one who came up with the plan for Amnon to get what he had so desired. Some of the commentators that I looked at this week suggested that Jonadab may be one of the most dangerous people in this whole story. He's he's there in the background whispering into Amnon's ear and giving him this wicked idea, this wicked plan, and empowering Amnon to carry it out and remember he's part of the family. Verses 12 and 13. When Tamar realized what Amnon was trying to do, she pleaded with him not to do it. Verses 12 and 13 are heart-wrenching as we hear Tamar's voice pleading with Amnon not to go forward with it. The first thing that she says is that such a thing is not done in Israel. She was appealing to the fact that Amnon was a God-fearing man. He was a follower of Yahweh. He had paid lip service to the law of God This is not how God's people act, she says. This is not how things are done in Israel. She also said it's outrageous. The word in Hebrew means disgraceful, senseless, utterly shameful. Amnon, this is not how God's people live. This is disgraceful. This is utterly shameful. Don't do it. Then she said, think of me. Think of me, Amnon. Think of what this will do to me. And that culture, an act like this, would have branded her for the rest of her life. Caused her incredible shame. And if that wasn't enough, she said, think of yourself, Amnon. You'll be branded too. You'll be thought of as an outrageous fool of Israel. One who is ridiculed, one who is despised, one who is dismissed. But we read in verse 14 that Amnon would not listen. His planned depravity was greater than his commitment to do what was right. Verses 15 through 17 again show us the depravity of this man's heart. After Amnon sinned against Tamar, we see the depth of his depravity. We see the depth of the darkness of his heart. We read that after he had done what he did, he hated her. And not just that he hated her, he hated her with a great hatred. In fact, the hatred that he had for her was even greater than the lust that he had for her that began him on this road to begin with. He basically used Tamar. He treated her as an object to do with whatever he wanted. And then afterward, he hated her and he despised her. And we see at the end of verse 15, he kicked her out, or at least he tried to. At the end of verse 15, there are only two, two Hebrew words that he spoke to her. Up, go. It would be in English something like, get up and get out. Again, Tamar tried to reason with Amnon. She wanted him to understand that his hatred for her and his discarding her like a piece of trash would be worse in a sense than what he had already done. But we read that again, Amnon wouldn't listen to her. So he called one of his servants to throw her out of his house. We see that at the end of verse 17. And In verse 17, it says, in English, it says, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. But you need to know that in the Hebrew, the word woman doesn't appear. Literally what it says is, put this out of my presence. We see more of the depravity, this time with David in verse 21. How did he respond? As he heard these things, we're told that he was very angry. The word very there is underscored. He was burning with anger. He was furious. And it is is good that he was angry. It It is right that he was angry. But what did he do about it? He did nothing. David was the king. And more than being the king, he was Tamar's father. He had every reason and responsibility to protect and to comfort his daughter. But he did nothing. He didn't comfort. He didn't confront and punish Amnon. He didn't comfort Tamar. He just got really angry and did nothing. Verses 22 and 23 show us now the depravity of another brother, Absalom. We're told that when Absalom found out what happened, he hated his, his brother Amnon. And notice that just like Amnon, although with a different sin, Absalom spent two years cultivating, imagining, thinking about, and dwelling on sin. For two years he planned and he waited and he schemed and he deceived and then he unleashed his hatred by killing his brother in cold blood under the guise of a party or festival during the time of the shearing of the sheep. We see the depravity again at the end of the passage in verses 38 and 39. Again, we see David doing nothing. As Absalom hatched his plan and had his brother Amnon killed, he then fled away to be with family in another part of the area. And we read that as a result, David grieved and mourned for Absalom because he had fled away and essentially exiled himself. And there the picture of David is he's sitting at home in his palace and he was sad. But he did nothing about it. He didn't go to Absalom. He didn't try to bring justice. He didn't try to bring reconciliation. He did nothing. This chapter is full of examples of the depravity of the human heart. Of the depravity of the human mind and of human actions. And on the one hand, when we see this story, it should shock us. But on the other hand, we hear just about anything like this on any given day on the news. On the one hand, hearing this story should make us sick to our stomachs. How could God's people be so depraved? On the other hand, we remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago as we reflected on David's sin with Bathsheba and his sin against Uriah and the other soldiers. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Every single one of us is born tainted with sin. Every part of our being has been touched by the depravity of sin. And none of us is beyond this. The seed of any sin is in our hearts. As we see Amnon and Absalom cultivating lust and hatred in their hearts, and letting it go unchecked. It should give all of us pause. It shows where these sins can go. It shows how dangerous it is to treat our sin lightly, to allow sinful thoughts to linger and to cultivate them. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as we see the destruction and the wreckage that is caused by the sin in this chapter, it ought to say something to those of us who think that our sin doesn't matter. Who play with our sin as if there are no consequences to it? Do we really think that looking at pornography has no consequences? Do we really think that sex outside of the covenant of marriage won't have any consequences? Do we really think that cultivating lust in our hearts as if it doesn't really matter won't have consequences? Young people, do you really think that you can lie to your parents and nothing matter? This chapter is to be a serious warning to anyone who would take their sin lightly. To play with our sin like it doesn't matter. Clearly, it does. We ought to feel the weight of this chapter and that weight ought to be used by us as a motivation to lean and to fight against our sin, to not let it linger, to not cultivate it in our hearts and our minds. This chapter shows us the depravity of the human heart. This chapter also shows us the importance or the significance of listening. There's only one person, uh, one primary person in 2 Samuel 13 that does no wrong. It's Tamar. She was a woman of integrity, a woman of honor, of principle, of godliness. She showed herself as a faithful servant, as a loving sister, as a loyal daughter, as a woman full of godly and sound wisdom, And nobody listened to her. Amnon didn't listen to her when she pleaded with him not to go forward with it. Amnon didn't listen to her again when she pleaded with him not to throw her out of his house like a piece of trash. We're not told in the scriptures that anybody came to her and listened to her and comforted her as she left Amnon's house in visible pain and grief. And when her brother Absalom talked to her in verse 20, it doesn't really feel like he was really listening to her either. And we have no indication that David went to Tamar to comfort comfort her, to listen to her after he found out what happened. She was essentially ignored and left to deal with what had happened by herself. It's no wonder that she was, as the scriptures tell us, a desolate woman. She had been deserted and judged by others. It's like watching a car wreck from the outside and you can't stop it. And where was God in this? Dr. Ralph Davis tells a story in his commentary on Second Samuel about the 20th century American actress and singer Martha Ray. Martha Ray performed in movies and on TV and in Broadway. She appeared frequently with comedic acts like Bob Hope and Abbott and Costello and Charlie Chaplin. She was known as being a very opinionated and outspoken person about her political views and her view of the world. And when she died, she left a sizable amount of money uh, to the organization PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. In particular, she designated that money to go for PETA's effort in the anti-fur movement. She also left her seventh husband about one and a half million dollars in cash. After he got his inheritance, the seventh husband turned around and decided to become a fashion designer and to design and to market his own line of fur coats. And people went berserk. They cried that Martha Ray would turn over in her grave if she knew how her husband was using the money that she had left him. But there was obviously nothing that Martha Ray could do or anybody else. That's how we can feel sometimes, isn't it? As we look around and see what's happening in the world, as we, as we look and see what's happening even within the kingdom of God. It seems like at times things are out of control, that there's no way to stop the craziness and the evil and the wickedness that we see all around us and coming from within us and happening to us. And we wonder, where is the Lord in all of this? It's certainly the case that some within our own church family have had horrific things happen to them. Maybe even things like Tamar experienced. Maybe feel alone and isolated ignored and not listened to. Maybe even feeling ashamed, like you've done something to cause the pain that you're feeling. You might even understand all too well how Tamar felt as she lived as a desolate person. But even though Amnon and David and Absalom didn't listen to Tamar, somebody did. Somebody did listen to her. The Lord heard her cries of grief and desolation. How do we know? Because the story is in the scriptures for us. The same Holy Spirit who caused this story to be recorded and preserved so that we might be reading it in in 2021 is is the God who heard her cries of grief and desolation. It is true that justice was not done in this story. No justice or resolution to the evil that took place was done. In fact, we never really hear Tamar's name again after this story, except that her brother Absalom named one of his daughters after her. But what we do know, the Lord heard Tamar. And even if justice was not done during her lifetime, the God of justice and righteousness will make all things right eventually. So that gives all of us, especially those who have been wronged in this life, hope. God hears our pain and He hears our grief and He hears our hurt and our desolation. And even if peace and comfort and resolution can't be found in this life, it can be found in Him. And we know and we have His promise that even if justice is not accomplished in this life, the Lord of justice is going to make it right eventually. Lastly, this passage shows us our dire need for the gospel. You know, you might hear this story, you might read these words and and be reminded of these horrific things that took place by God's people, and you might say, I could never do that. I I, I could never go that far in my sin. Let me just take you back to what Jesus said earlier in our service in Matthew chapter 5 as he took God's Word and unfolded the depth of it to us. Jesus said that we break the commandments of the God, of, of our Lord and God in our hearts, even if we don't break them outwardly in our actions. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. I tell you that if you even have lust in your heart, you have broken the seventh commandment heard it said you shall not murder but i tell you that if you are angry if you insult others if you call other people names then you've broken the sixth commandment we may read a passage like second samuel 13 and think i could never do what happened there but if that's what you think then it just shows that you don't understand the human heart you don't understand the extent of the depravity of the human heart because of the fall None of us is innocent of breaking God's law. We do so in our actions, we do so with our words, and we do so in our hearts. And yes, some sins are more heinous and more horrific than others. But the Bible teaches us that every sin, no matter how big or how small it is in our eyes, makes us guilty before the Lord and worthy of judgment. So as we come to the story, we also come to the gospel this, this story points out the need that we all have for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this story, we see a king, King David, who is supposed to be the agent of justice and righteousness and comfort, and he's silent and inactive. In this story, we see the sons of King David running wild and unchecked in their sin and wickedness. But we know the rest of the story. A thousand years after these events took place, the one who had been promised, the promised Messiah would arrive, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was called the greater and more perfect son of David, the one who is called the greater and more perfect king of God's people, Jesus Christ came into this world and showed us what a true king is, what a true son is like. He lived a life of perfect love and obedience to His Father in heaven, and then He willingly gave up His life on the cross so that everyone who puts their faith and trust in Him would have every one of their sins paid for in full. We don't know the eternal state of Amnon. The Scriptures don't give us that clearly. But here's what I do know. Even Amnon could have had his sins forgiven if he had repented and put his faith in the Lord. So if you see yourselves as a big sinner like Amnon or Absalom, put your hope and your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn again to the Lord and in him receive forgiveness for your sins and your wickedness and be credited with Jesus' righteousness. And then rest in the promise of God that he will be faithful, that he will be just and that he will not count your sins against you anymore. And if you're somebody who's experienced the pain like what Tamar has experienced, then know that even if no one else does, the Lord hears you. In Him there is peace and comfort and healing. And know that He is a God of justice. That justice will be done. If it's not here and now, then when Jesus comes back, Let's pray together. Father, we pray for you to help us as we wrestle through dark passages like this, the events of your people and history that we would just as soon not know about and not have to think about. Help us. Help us, Father, from this portion of your word. To grow in our knowledge of who you are as our Lord, as our God, as our Father in Heaven. To grow in our understanding of the depth of your grace and mercy to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to grow in our need, in, our, in seeing our need uh, for uh, the depravity of our heart to be, to be worked on by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would do that. Help us, Father, as we go out this week. Help us to... Believe what you say is true about yourself and what is true about us and help us to look to our Savior, that we might love you and serve you in joy this week ahead. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.